Beneath the clothes, we find a man. And beneath the man, we find his nucleus. Thank you for coming back once again to A Hispanard. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. I'm thanking you at the very top because we are just coming back from Thanksgiving and I am super thankful. So thank you guys. <laughs> I know that's not normally how I start the show, but I was just, uh, I was thinking about, yeah, I'm pretty grateful. Um, and pretty thankful nowadays. So, <clears throat> yeah, I just want to say that I'm still a little bit sick. I'm not uh, what you would call under the weather anymore. I now have uh, what it is just lingering um, under the weatherness. <laughs> I guess is the best way to uh, put it. So, yeah, I'm, I still got a little bit of, of something going on, but I'm feeling pretty. I'm feeling pretty great, and uh, that's another thing that I'm really grateful for is uh, just how I feel, man. When, when you're sick, it is, uh, it is not a good thing. Just that lack, uh, you know, the, the lack of being able to feel a hundred percent. Um, I'm embarrassed and sad to say that I went years and years of my life, of my adult life, not knowing what it felt like to feel good. And, you know, all of that had to do with my eating habits and with my lack of working out habit, which really speaks to that old idea of you don't know what you're missing when you haven't had something that is particularly good. In this case, having, well, you know, last year getting uh, COVID and then having a secondary, you know, infection, uh, that kept me, uh, on my back a lot longer than I otherwise would have been. Um, you know, I, I ended up feeling sick and being pretty immobile for about a month. I I did two weeks of COVID and then two weeks of, you know, this, this bacterial infection, and all that together just kept me from eating and kept me from working out and kept me from feeling good and um, really made me appreciate what I had acquired up until that point, you know, the level of health that I had, the the miles that I'd put, you know, I'd put on the um, my the stamina and strength that I had built up, all of those things got taken away from me and it made me really appreciate those things once they were gone. And since then, you know, I've been able to build some of that back up. I, I've not at a hundred percent as to where I was previously, 
but I'm getting there. And um, just this little seven day, you know, stint of being sick really made me appreciate it all over again. Although, you know, this time around being sick, it's just, it wasn't, it wasn't really bad. It was completely tolerable. I was able to, you know, do work and, and even, you know, put out a podcast. So it it wasn't, it wasn't awful like it was last year, but yeah, all those things, anything now that knocks me out or keeps me away from being able to run or lift weights, it really makes me appreciate when I have time and physical, you know, capability of doing that kind of stuff, because it is so beneficial and so, so much of a needed thing in my life. It really helps to, to even me out and regulate me too, to, to be able to work out and, and, um, and get, you know, get that, uh, get that energy out. So, yeah, I hope you guys had a fantastic Thanksgiving. I can't believe we're about to move into December and Christmas. Like, it it just feels like time is going way too fast. And I know that's something that people say as you get older, but it really feels like that, man. It just feels like time is just gliding by or sliding by so quickly. It's, I needed to slow down just a little bit, you know, just, I just want to be able to enjoy hours even a little bit more like it seems like as soon as I get on a project it's something that you know it gets done and then boom onto the next thing and then boom onto the next thing and then boom and just oh like I'm ready for I don't even know like even vacations typically end up being like a, a discovery and exploration of wherever it is that you're going because typically vacations are not staycations they're not just home and lounge and which I think, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think there's a lot of value even in that. And that's something that probably would benefit everybody, <laughs> honestly, is uh, staying home and just doing nothing. You know, not all the time, obviously, but just every once in a while, just to get better perspective and and uh, get some, some re-energy, you know, re-energizing. Although I know that that can be the case in visiting a new place as well. But yeah, here I am rambling about life and and nothing in general so i'm just gonna say it again grateful for you guys love you guys thank you so much now let's move on to some geek news and geek thoughts and geek perspective and what i'm really here for it you know which is to tell you what i think about something and then you can agree disagree or dismiss whichever you you want to do as long as you keep listening i appreciate it immensely I wanted to start out with um, something that I think I can talk about that uh, was fascinating. Um, Bob Iger, who is now overseeing Disney again as the interim CEO. We don't know how long he's going to be uh, with Disney. The Right now, the estimated amount of time will be two years, and that'll be enough time for him to find his predecessor. I think I spoke about this last week. I think we're going to see Bob Iger for no less than five years. And uh, I think he will find a predecessor in that time. But um, I just can't see him walking away from, you know, the this portion of the house that he's built. Um, it speaks a lot to his legacy. And in fact, I think, you know, some of it might be um, ego, 
you know, for sure. And some of it is also general love and care. But I think he saw where the company was going and the fact that, you know, we've, the company, we, not me, you know, I don't have anything to do with, with this portion of it, but just that the, that the Walt Disney company has not had, you know, success in what amounts to five years, um, between all the various properties that, that Disney owns. I think that really spoke to Bob Iger and his vision and his thinking of what, you know, what his legacy would be. And, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if he's going to be able to fix things and turn around. I turn things around. I think that he could, I think I read this fantastic article about, um, uh, I wish I could remember the guy's name, but, uh, the gist of the article was that there is no extreme right and no extreme left that is, that has hurt Disney, you know, Disney's bottom dollar. It's more the, the apathy and complacency of fans and the audience that has, has hurt, um, things like Star Wars and Marvel and Pixar and Disney animation and Disney live action. I think <clears throat> some of the, some of the things in the article are right. You know, that it's not the extreme of either, but it's the, you know, it's the lack of, of understanding and willingness in the middle to part with their dollars. I think, I think you give someone, I, I think you give people, um, a particular vision that you're interested in that is not universal, but is more specific. And I think when you do that, you run the risk of alienating those who are not interested in that particular vision or that particular take. And I think that's where Disney has suffered a lot. You know, I, on top of being vocal about some of the ways that they think and, and, you know, and view society and, and some of the social engineering that they might be interested in. Besides that, I think when you make things that are not universal, but they're more specific and you, and you do it with the idea that this is universal, meaning, <clears throat> you know, you, you can wrap a, a wolf in like a, uh, one of those cute dog costumes, but it's still a wolf. So no matter what cute ears that you put on it and cute sweater, you're still dealing with a killing machine that will potentially rip your liver out if you're not careful in how you handle it. And I think a lot of the projects that Disney has invested their time into they're, they don't look at it that way. They don't look at it as a wolf that is waiting at the door, you know, to, to disrupt and, and, uh, and harm, uh, their bottom dollar. But that's exactly what's happening. You, you can do an overlay of animation, but if you present, you know, a specific group a small group and you make them the main focus, 
you can wrap as much story as you want around that. And that doesn't mean that it will appeal to audiences. Again, just because the wolf has cute bunny ears and a cute sweater does not automatically make it safe for children to, to be around it or even for adults. Like it's just, that's not the way that life works. You can't wrap things around things that are not appealing or dangerous to society in general and as a whole. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a lot of tone deafness to say, well, we're going to push this out and we need you to accept it because we have always done, you know, these good things and this high quality thing that we're known about what we're known for. Again, you can paint something and make it as, as appealing looking as possible. But if it is something that is detrimental or maybe not detrimental, but if it's something that is um, offensive in some way, it doesn't matter how pretty it is, how well it's painted, how well constructed it is. If the subject matter at the end of the day ends up being something that, you know, the general population has a tough time with or is or it can't identify with, you are, you're going to miss out on, you know, the, the, the general population, the general audience. And I think this is where Disney has been hurt over and over and over again. And it's a self-inflicted wound, you know, at some point when you continue to hemorrhage money, you, you have a couple of choices, either the next projects that you create have a much smaller budget and that could be good because then your return on your investment can be phenomenal, right? Like uh, Miramax kind of built their entire uh, business structure on that. You know, it's, it's a defunct um, division of Disney, actually. Miramax, a lot of people don't remember this, but Miramax was a division of Disney. And Miramax was the artsy, um, high-end, uh, adult branch of of uh, Disney. So Disney could put out family-friendly movies, but then they could also put out something like Pulp Fiction, you know, and uh, uh, Goodwill Hunting that dealt with bigger and broader, you know, a- adult themes. And it could be done at a lower cost. And the the return on the investment was significant. I mean, they could, Miramax could make a $20 million movie and have that movie make $150 million in the movie theater. And that was gigantic. I mean, that basically they're, they were creating indie projects and they were attracting, you know, really talented, big name people who would forego a big paycheck to do something that they considered to be relevant, you know, in, in their art. And, um, so, you know, Disney could end up going back to that route and that model where they invest way less money, but they potentially get something that is a bigger return on their investment or, um, or they, or the other end of that equation is that they could invest less and attract less and they will produce less of a great product. You know, that, that can be that way too. 
it takes a certain special kind of leader and a certain special kind of, you know, person. And I hate to say, like, in no way do I think this person is special, but I think they had a talent. And I think one of the things that happens uh, currently in this day and age is that we live in this type of unreality where we're unwilling to look at facts, uh, uh, you know, the facts of reality and of and the nuances of a person. So I'm talking about Harvey Weinstein in this regard. Harvey Weinstein had a talent for attracting the right people to the right projects and funding, you know, things that ultimately brought in a ton of money for Again, for a low cost, I don't know how the guy did it. I don't know, you know, I'm sure a lot of it had to do with the people that he surrounded himself with. And because um, he didn't do it all by himself, obviously. But for for anybody to, to deny that he was 100% instrumental in getting those projects done and have them be successful, you're just, you would be a fool. To think otherwise. The guy was successful in Hollywood for a reason. And I think a lot of that had to do with a certain type of intelligence that he possessed. And, you know, a certain way of doing business. Obviously, the guy's a monster. And I think, you know, that can happen a lot too. Where you get a lot of monsters that can that can produce a lot of good. But that doesn't make them good. It's just that they have a certain talent to be able to do certain things. And then when it's found out that they're evil monsters, people want to forget that, no, they did have a talent for that thing. They were capable of doing this thing. And and despite them, you know, regardless of, of how they were in person and and the way that they dealt with people, they had a specific talent for this. So... Disney could go that route. They could find, you know, someone else that has that ability to do uh, low budget and and big, you know, returns. Or they could, you know, write the ship and do, um, you know, material that is faithful to the source material, whatever that might be, whether it's comic books, you know, or or regular books or or bring in, you know, a good writing team. One of the things that I will continue to sing its praises that really, really worked for me is Andor. To bring in uh, Tony Gilroy. Now, it might turn out that next week or the week after you find out that Tony Gilroy eats babies and he's, you know, he's been enslaving uh, women on this island for a long time. And I don't know, dude. It, it's so... Nothing is surprising anymore, so anything could happen. So I could be speaking glowingly and great about this guy now, and then you find out two weeks from now that, you know, he's been doing all these evil things for the last five years or whatever. I don't I don't know. Look, just going to say, bringing Tony Gilroy in to uh, as a showrunner and writer to create uh, this show Andor for uh, Star Wars, you know, Disney+, Plus. it's just a great example of what storytelling can be, what character development can be, what, um, you know, set pieces and environments. And I mean, just, it's an amazing 
piece of Star Wars work that uh, might be my favorite Star Wars thing that has ever come out. And that's crazy to say. I mean, that's how much I I, I value uh, this specific, you know, 12-part series on Disney+. Plus. I think it's incredible. So maybe, you know, Disney brings in more uh, Tony Gilroy. And they continue to take their time and develop, you know, the properties uh, at a slower pace with more thoughtfulness and and with more of a direction. And then they, you know, they get to, to invest, you know, that with a lot of money. But at this point, I don't know. I mean, you know, Bob Iger is committed, it seems like, to um, really give power to, you know, the, to the creatives and to um, turn the ship around. But what that looks like, I don't know yet. I, I have, like I said, I have my own thoughts of what I think would completely work um, on all levels, whether it's, you know, at, at the park level, at the hotel level, at the, you know, Marvel and Lucasfilm and, you know, TV level. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know at this point. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, Andor is fantastic. I think we need more of that. I think Marvel could definitely benefit from slowing down on some of their projects and, you know, reworking, rethinking. I, I you know, honestly, I think you can have your cake and eat it too, really. Um, I, I've said this before and I'll say it again. And, and even with Andor, you look at something like Stranger Things Season 4, you look at Andor, it's not like that representation that some people are calling for and looking for and asking for. It's not like it's not there. It's just the big difference is it's not the story. And it's not the point. You know, it's woven into the story. It's part of the tapestry of the overall story. But it's not the story. Just like Andor, to me, isn't a story about politics. Politics are in it, but there's so many themes that are going on. There's injustice. There is loss. There is rebellion. There is confusion. There's doubt. There's subterfuge. There's espionage. There's double crossing. There is um, ideals and perspectives and making deals with the devil, you know, they, there's so many themes that are happening within, you know, that story that it doesn't have time to be about one thing. And if you go online and you look at people's points of views, they're, they're missing the point, in my opinion, of the story. The story is not politics. The story is not rebellion. The story is not, um, you know, this is a reflection of our world and fascism, fascism, and this is the right and this is the left. Like, it's so much bigger than all of that because it's able to encompass all of that and tell you a really well-told story that is leading towards something. You know, it its end goal is not to teach you how to think, and its end goal is not to teach you how to act or... Um, you know, or to give you the right perspective. It's it's telling you a story and then it's saying, make up your own mind about whether the ends justify the means or whether 
you know, these people made the right decision or they made the wrong decision. And that's really the beauty of it. I love it. I love it. I think it's, uh, it's fantastic. So I want to, I want to pivot over to, um, well, keeping in line with Disney, I wanted to talk about this really quick. The, uh, the new animated, uh, feature film that came out from Disney. I've heard different reports, but I'm going to settle on the one that I think is the, the, the correct one is that, uh, they released over the holiday, uh, weekend or holiday week, really, because, you know, kids, my kids were out of school by Friday, you know, of, of the week before Thanksgiving. And then they were out all week of Thanksgiving and they were finally back at school, you know, this, uh, this Monday. So Disney released uh, an animated film, feature film called Strange World, which I saw something about this months ago. And without any exposition, just looking at what it looked like, to me it looked like it was something that was right up my alley. It looked steampunkish. It looked, you know, other dimension or other world, alienish kind of deal. Um, the character designs were, eh, they were whatever. I mean, typical Disney fair at this point, there was nothing that really stood out other than the oddness of the designs, like the, the way that the characters were designed, their specific, um, hairstyles and, and clothing that looked strange to me because it, it didn't look, it looked like it was modern day, but at the same time, a throwback. It was very strange, and and it read um, incomprehensible to me. But despite that, I'm like willing to just give it a shot, check it out, and see you know what what it was about. <clears throat> but uh, when I read about it and finally found out what the movie was about and what it focused on, you know, I was like, well, I can't. I can't take my kids to this. And the only reason to go to an animated movie, especially at my age, as things, as I get older and older and older, it's not that I don't appreciate animation. I do. In fact, there's specific animation that I will go back to specifically and watch because I have a nostalgic fondness for it. But when it comes to new animation, I, there, there has to be some kind of hook, some kind of catch that will, you know, bring me into, uh, the moment. And, uh, when I found out about the story and, and, you know, some of the, the focuses of the story, I just knew it wasn't for me as an adult and it's not something that I want to take my kids to. So, you know, we opted out of going to it. Now, the crazy thing is, it seems like the entire planet opted out as well because a movie that cost $180 million to make grossed 18 million over the course of five days, which is just absolutely wild to me. I mean, that is, I don't know that Disney has had a worse loss. I'd have to go back and take a look. Some people are saying that Treasure Planet bombed, but I wonder if it bombed in comparison in the same way that this one has bombed, because that, that's a lot of money to spend on, on anything and to only get that back and they know that they're not going to recoup it and it's certainly not going to be recouped in streaming because it doesn't matter if Disney has 250 million subscribers and all 250 million watch this movie they've recouped zero because they need 
250 million and one or 300 million or 400 million. They need numbers. They need people to go, man, I'm so excited about watching that that I'm going to buy the subscription just to jump on to watch that film. And that is definitely not happening. So the loss for Disney on this movie is catastrophic. And uh, it's it's a continuation of a bad sign for Disney and what's been happening for the last five years. And it really took me, you know, it, it took me time to have perspective, to look back, to understand where Disney has stood for the last five years and why at at this point the board felt it was detrimental and they really they let laid a lot of this at Bob Chapek's feet. I'm not sure that that can be done or that that's the case. I think there's a lot of lot a lot of people that share in this responsibility of failure uh, that Disney has been going through, but. For the last four to five years, pandemic aside, Disney has had has not had a relevant hit from any of its properties. You know, a lot of things did go straight straight to streaming for two years. So Luca, uh, not uh, Luca, Raya the Last Dragon. Um, what else? Uh, there's there's a few. Oh, um, no, not not uh, Homeward. No, I can't remember the name, but the one I, I mentioned it last time with the two trolls or the you know the two brothers, but uh, you know Buzz Lightyear, you know just it's been like miss after miss after miss after miss. Same thing on the Marvel side. A- anyway, all this is to say that um, this is just a continuation of that. Uh, you know this this major bombing and. Uh, so the hope is that Iger can come in, assess the situation, turn it around. I went to uh, the town hall meeting. I think I described or mentioned it earlier that Disney had where where Bob Iger uh, addressed a lot of people's questions. And I don't think that he necessarily did a good job of addressing people's questions in a direct fashion. But at the same time, I can't necessarily blame him because he's just getting back on board so a lot of people would be like, well, what was the point of that exercise? I think the point of the exercise is to show that he's willing to, that he wants to help alleviate and, and you know, fears and show that he's ready to, to come back in a leadership role. But I wish that he'd been more prepared for, you know, questions that should be easy to answer and... I think he was trying to be diplomatic. I think that the, the time for diplomacy for Disney is over. I think if Bob Iger's back and he's coming to, you know, to, to right the ship, I think a lot of really difficult decisions need to be made. And a lot of that has to do with who are the people that are in charge of the creative side. You know, who is running the writer's rooms, who, uh, you know, directors, showrunners, um, you know, the, the prospective people that are over the studio's that they are um, shepherding, you know, all, all these things have to be looked at. Same thing with the parks, you know, the, from the cooks to custodial to the people that are running, you know, the, the attractions, like all of these things need to be looked at and they need to be reassessed. And 
you know, the company needs to take a very hard look and say, are we doing the right thing in all these different situations? Do we still need a reservation system? You know, do, do we still allow the park to get all the way up to capacity and make it a miserable experience for everybody? Like, what are we doing here? You know, same thing with the, you know, the, how we charge for the food portions, the, the crazy amounts that we're asking of people to pay for something like a spirit sweat, you know, spirit Jersey, like, what are we doing here? What, what are we putting out? And is it the quality that, that we're seeking to put out? You know, it, it, there's a lot of tough questions that need to be asked and, uh, you know, uh, from the merchandising department as well. Like, are we putting out merchandise that is, uh, that, that necessarily reflects the talent and the time that we're putting into these things? You know, I, I would not be against at all if there was just a, an immediately, you just put the brakes on everything that doesn't mean that you get rid of people from any of the departments necessarily to start out with, but you really just put a break on the entire machine and you, and you start to reassess location by location and, you know, and you start to, to really try to figure out like, what is the end goal and what, what are you attempting to do? Are you attempting to just do a money grab? Are you really putting out things that you know, speak to the quality that we're known for and the high standards that we're known for. So that, you know, I think those are the things that were not answered. Um, and I wish that they had been, and I wish people had, had, you know, suggested tougher questions. I was there live, but really I got there too late to be able to find a seat, to be able to be one of the people that participates, um, you know, in, in, the questioning and some people did throw out some good questions, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, we'll see, we'll see what this next year looks like, because I think, I think this next year is going to be the, you know, the definitive answer as to where we're going and, you know, as a company and whether the, the changes that need to be implemented actually get implemented. And again, I think that has, to, that will, you'll see more and more people, uh, be gotten rid of, and a restructuring of the company, I think those are some of the vital things that will need to happen um, to to affect that change. Now, <clears throat> Strange Worlds bombed, and that that really bums me out. I don't I don't really want things to fail. Like I don't I don't go in thinking like, man, I hope this fails. Um, I want things to succeed, and I want things to I want things to to uh, you know, the the more something succeeds, the more it fosters more success, like the, like the opportunity for better and better content to be put out and, uh, you know, better material. So I'm, I'm not one of those guys that's like, man, I hope that that Sony dies or Disney dies or Nickelodeon dies or whatever. That doesn't mean that there's certain projects that I'm like, man, I, I want those things to get killed off, you know, but uh, but in general, I love that places exist that that foster and hire creative people because that means, you know, 
ultimately there's a job out there for me and there's a job out there for people like me and you know telling I love telling stories and and drawing and you know I love being immersed in stories as well and seeing perspectives from other people and so it just you know I'm I'm rooting rooting for those places I don't want them to fail I want them to be successful but you know that doesn't mean uh, I, I also am a big believer actually in if you don't see the thing that you're looking for you know more and more as I get older I think maybe it's your job to to build it if you're not seeing it then maybe it's up to you to to put it out there and I certainly feel that for sure as a creative you know I I see the need for that in myself and I see the need for that that like I you know I've I've said it before and I'll say it again I'll say it till I die I don't need representation I don't need to see another Mexican you know in order for me to be like oh there's me but what I sure do need and what I would like to see is my my type of storytelling the the love that I have the for the t- type of storytelling that I you know that I enjoy like I want to see those things out there I want to see you know I want to I want to uh, that's the kind of creativity that 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 uh, spurs my creativity on. You know, that's I follow a ton of artists that I love, and I don't follow them just to look at their pretty pictures. I follow them because there's something that they're doing that causes me to question what I'm doing and to wonder if I can do it better. And and that's what great storytelling does. That's what you know, great media does. It inspires. And, um, so I'm always rooting for, you know, places and people because I want to be inspired. You know, I think that's, um, that's one of the reasons that I love this geek stuff. And one of the reasons that I talk about it and that I'm able to, I just had a conversation with my buddy, Sean tonight, by the way, thank you for the, uh, the, um, Mexican food, Sean, uh, shout out to, uh, Casa Camino and shout out to my buddy, Sean, like that he treated me to a, a delicious dinner, but you know, we, we had a conversation tonight and the conversation, one of the, one of the things in the conversation that, that we had was, um, it, talking, you know, and what that looks like and what we're comfortable with. And I can do this every week because I'm comfortable with giving my opinion, right or wrong. You know, whether, whether I understand what I'm talking about or don't understand what I'm talking about, I know that I have an opinion and it took me many years to get to that conclusion and to be comfortable with it. That doesn't mean that I'm good at it. That doesn't mean that I'm sitting here and as you're listening to me, you can, you would think, wow, this guy's great and he's smooth because I, I know that I'm not. That's not the point. The point is I'm okay with, you know, talking about what I think and talking about how I feel. I may not express it in a, in a cohesive or comprehensive, meaningful or, you know, understandable way. Like those are the challenges, right? You know, I want to get better at this. I want to get smoother at this, but not for the sake of getting better or smoother. I want to get better and smoother at this so that I put out a better product so that I inspire other people so that, you know, I can as as hopefully as I grow, I'm looking for that back and forth. I'm looking for that debate. I'm looking for that point of, of view difference. You know, th- those are the things that are they encourage me. And they spur me on and they inspire me. And, you know, that's that's what a good conversation does. That's what getting together with Sean tonight and breaking bread together and talking about faith 
and, you know, ideas about what the afterlife could be like and, you know, the idea of, of what humanity was like before the flood or what it could have been like or what technology does or all these conversations are things that inspire me and make me think and are challenging to me. And I think that's one of my favorite things about podcasts. And it's one of the reasons that I decided to stick with it and, and continue to do it. I'm sitting here, you know, for all I know, talking in the void, although I know that that's not true. I can look at my analytics and I get to see how many people are listening to each episode. And, you know, so that's, that's meaningful. I know that I'm not speaking into the void, but even if I were, you know, speaking into the void, it's, it's like speaking into my own thoughts and, and, and debating and wrestling with, you know, the things that I'm watching and the things that I enjoy. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of value in that. You know, it's one of the things that I, I know other people have talked about that happens in society where you will let your thinking be taken over by something else, whether it's a podcast or music or, you know, conversation with someone else. But very rarely do you just sit down and think your thoughts and in my case, speak them out for about an hour and wrestle with what you're going to say next, not knowing what the future is, not knowing what the next moment is. You know, I, I, I don't script any of this. I don't know what I'm going to say next necessarily, but I know that all those things that are there, the, the thoughts that are there, I want to get them out and I want to express them. And um, so with that in mind, I, I know I, I go on these weird, crazy rants, but you know, strange world failing, it, it sucks, but it was, I, in my opinion, it was needed. Um, you know, Andor finishing, and I thought it finished off incredibly strong. By the way, I won't spoil any of that. I will, because I, I spent, you know, an entire episode talking about Andor. But I will say that when you get to the end, make sure that you watch the final credit, because there's an end credit scene the way that Marvel has gotten us used to that. And it's it's really fantastic. I mean, it's... It's a beautiful shot, and then it also makes you go, oh, like, I can't believe that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty wild. But um, so there is that as well. There was another thing that I wanted to talk about. Oh, you know, I did want to talk about this uh, last week, but I didn't get a chance to do it. I I found it interesting, and the more that I thought about it, the more I I definitely understand his perspective. My my opinion is I don't think the guy is going bad on Marvel or he's gone bad on Taika Waitiki or anything like that. But I think it's been interesting to to read uh, some of the quotes that have been coming out from Chris Hemsworth. You know, one of the things that was alarming that I read last week is that uh, in the process of doing the show that he did for uh, National Geographic, I think, you know, it's a, it's through Disney that he found out that he has the double gene for potentially developing Alzheimer's, which the way that that was written about, you know, the articles about it, uh, it almost was like, it's an assured thing. You know, Chris Hemsworth is stepping away from uh, acting and to spend more time with his family because he's destined to get Alzheimer's. That's actually not the case. That's, the chances of him developing Alzheimer's versus not developing Alzheimer's 
is completely unknown. It, he's got two of the genes that, that are potentially make that potential more possible, but it's not, it's not probable or, you know, or likely even necessarily like we just, we don't know because we don't know how those genes get activated and expressed. So Chris Hemsworth might go his entire life with complete, uh, you know, understanding of where he is and, and his mental capabilities being a hundred percent and perfect. Or when he's 50, 60, he could start, you know, showing signs and, um, and ultimately develop, you know, full Alzheimer's. We, we just don't know, but all these things are made to, you know, click they're, they're clickbait headlines and they're meant to make you go and look into it. And, and they're, playing off of your emotions so they're trying to emotionally manipulate you to react in some form that aside you know and i hope the guy you know has a great long life without those genes ever getting activated i hope you know he seems like a like a nice fella so so i hope that you know he continues on with health and and you know as you can see him now if you follow him in any capacity he's he's a pretty health driven guy so let's hope that that maintains but one of the things that I found interesting is uh, there's been a lot of quotes that have been coming out from him. You know, he doesn't want to work with another crazy director. He doesn't want to not have a path for Thor. He thinks that his, you know, the next Thor outing will be his final Thor outing. He would like to do character development for Thor. All these things, like whether they're they're being reported accurately, they're quoted accurately. I, I'm not really sure about that, but what I, but if you take all the different sources and all the different quotes and everything, it does seem like you can paint a picture that his experience on Thor Love and Thunder, while it was fun, and I think it was because I think it incorporated his entire family, and I think he's genuinely friends with Taika Waititi. I, I don't think uh, he's throwing Taika under the bus in this case. I think all of that being said, Chris Hemsworth is sensitive to the response to his movies. And I think he takes it personal, you know, personally as, as a creative and as, um, you know, an artist and, uh, uh, someone that has invested as much time as he had, as he has into Thor. You know, I think he, he took it very personal that the movie was not as successful as they were all hoping that it would be. And the only thing that he's in control of is his acting. The only thing he's in, he's in control of is his delivery. Everything else, you know, the writing, the directing, the um, the effects, you know, all that stuff, he, he has to leave in the hands of someone else. And, uh, you know, maybe the script would have given him a heads up, but even that, like, we don't really know when he got the script, how much say he has over the script. Uh, I think, I think Chris Hemsworth doesn't understand how much power he truly has and how much, you know, uh, how much say he has over the decision-making for a character like Thor that he's been on, you know, for, for all this amount of time. And, uh, I think maybe that 
will be changing now. I think maybe he will be taking more ownership and understanding like this character is part of his legacy and he can end it really strong or, you know, he can end it at Thor Love and Thunder, which turned him into a buffoon um, and not even for a good benefit, but just in general is just, you know, a, a, a high budget, low return buffoonery, you know, film. And uh, I wouldn't want that to be my legacy, you know. So if I were in Chris Hemsworth's shoes, I would, I would ask for more ownership, and I would be more invested about where I want to see the character go and how I want to see the character end. So I hope that he does get a chance to do that, um, you know. Um, and I wish the guy well. I think he's, I think he's fun, and I think he's fantastic, and I think he's like the perfect Thor. So. We shall see. Um, we shall see. Now, the other thing I, I want to close out with that I thought was really fantastic as I'm I'm putting together a list of my top 10 favorite things that came out this year and my top 10 least favorite things that came out this year. And this one in particular, um, I'm happy to talk about twice. So I'll talk about it now and then I'll talk about it, you know, when I do my top 10 list. But uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, I thought was fantastic. Was it perfect? No. But, you know, nothing's fa- nothing's perfect. But I, I really, really, really loved it. Um, I think James Gunn continues to be a fun and subversive and and intelligent, you know, writer and director. Um, the premise for this show, uh, you know, for this special, it, it was a, a, a holiday special. It was very simple. The premise was very simple. Uh, I'm, I'm going to spoil it. So if you don't want to listen to this part, if you want to stop here and then go watch it and then come back, great. Um, if you don't care about spoilers, great. But the basic premise, <laughs> which I thought was awesome, um, is that the Guardians have purchased nowhere from the Collector, which means that the Collector survived <laughs> the attack from Thanos, and uh, they purchased nowhere, which is that floating celestial head that exists out in the galaxy, and they are in the process of renovating it and getting it back into a working, functional uh, space station, basically, for, for lack of a better term. And... Uh, and some of the guardians notice that uh, that Peter Quill is just kind of down, and there's a lot of reasons for him to be down. One, you know, Gamora has had come back into his life, but it's not the Gamora from our timeline; it's the Gamora from the past who doesn't know him, and so she bounced, you know, shortly after helping out with uh, Infinity. Uh, is was it Endgame? Yeah, uh, you know, the final Avengers movie. And uh, it also happens to be that it's the time of year, you know, at, during this period that we that we meet the Guardians again, is that it's it's Christmas time on Earth, and Peter is feeling, you know, multiple losses: the loss of Yondu, the loss of of Gamora, you know, maybe even the loss of like Thor and some some of the other friends that they made, and so he's just, you know, he's working. And uh, just doesn't seem to be happy. And Mantis 
starts to talk to Drax about this. And Mantis has her own reasons for feeling this this kinship towards uh, uh, Star-Lord. You know, she it, it, it's revealed... And, and something we already knew, but is is basically canonized and solidified in this special is that she is Peter's half sister. You know, they they share the same father, which was Ego, and um, so she just wants to see him happy because she she notices that he's sad, and she's also she happens to be an empath, so she really understands the depth of you know why he's feeling the way he's feeling, and so she convinces Drax to help, you know, help her make uh, Peter happy by traveling to Earth and bringing back Kevin Bacon. And <laughs> Kevin Bacon plays Kevin Bacon in this uh, this uh, holiday special, which was awesome. And uh, yeah, Drax and Mantis head to Earth and, and they have uh, a couple of little uh, mini adventures in... Um, in Hollywood, uh, the the show, you know, the, the holiday special is rated, um, I think, uh, 14, you know, TV 14 or something, or TV mature. A- and there's two reasons for it, and I'm going to spoil them spoil them right now. Uh, one, uh, Gamora ends up calling, <laughs> ends up calling, uh, um, actors pieces of s <laughs> and uh so and the way that it's done it's very like blunt and very in your face and then there's a moment where or a sequence where mantis and drax go to a gay bar and they have drinks and then they they dance and you know and the sequence doesn't show anything but you know where they are and what it is because it's in, you know, it's in Hollywood. (laughs) And, uh, so anyway, they have a little bit of fun, but it's, it's really all above board. And then, uh, they end up outside and that's when they're given directions to Kevin Bacon's house because they've been asking around and they can't find anybody who knows Kevin Bacon. There's actually, uh, on a side note, there's like this really great moment where you find out that Drax is, cousin was killed by a gobot <laughs> that was so awesome you've got to watch it like i i totally forgot that the gobots uh, i i think they're a property that be- technically belongs to marvel <laughs> i've got to look that up but if it is it's so awesome and they use it in such a funny effective way but they find kevin bacon they kidnap kevin bacon mantis uses her suggestive empathic abilities to make him copacetic with you know going off with them and then they deliver him as a gift and star lord freaks out because he's like you you should never have done this it's very sweet thank you but you know and then they have like a musical sequence which i hate musical stuff but it was actually pretty cool and um and they do lift uh uh uh, star lord spirits um (laughs) and in the sequence of everything, which I'm sure if you've been online, you might've already seen it. Uh, you see everybody giving gifts to everybody else and (laughs) Nebula ends up giving, (laughs) ends up giving, um, uh, what's his face? Uh, rocket, (laughs) 
<laughs> there's an awesome, <laughs> sorry, on a side note, there's an awesome sequence where Kevin Bacon's like, you're a raccoon. And, and just seconds before that, Rocket is trying to be like a peacemaker and is trying to calm the situation down. And he flips from one second to the, he's like, don't you ever call me that. And he just goes after Kevin Bacon and gets stopped. It's so funny, man. It's such a well-timed uh, joke. But um, anyway, Rocket ends up getting Bucky's metal arm as a, a Christmas gift from Nebula, which is wild in of itself, uh, the implications of it. But uh, I don't think she kills Winter Soldier, but she definitely rips the arm from his body and brings it back as a gift. So whether he's going to get back that arm or <laughs> or not, I don't know. But uh, yeah, and then like the Groot in this uh, episode is like Swole Patrol. He's just, <laughs> he's been like on whey protein and, and lifting heavy for a while. It's, it's hilarious. So the whole thing is, yeah, I thought was great. It, it it's actually endearing, especially at the end and a little bit emotional and, uh, like everybody did, did a great job, but I really loved, you know, Drax and Mantis together. And then I really loved, um, Peter and Mantis together at the end where, you know, it's, it's confirmed to him that it's his sister and it just, it's really cool. It's, it's a great, like, it almost feels like it's a setup for a, a really heartbreaking, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which a lot of people have been speculating, like, yeah, James Gunn is going to kick us in the, you know, what, <laughs> like with that, with that third um, movie. And, and maybe that's possible. I mean, the guy is definitely not above uh, doing things that are in his mind necessary to bring an emotional response and to hurt you and to make you know, make it be relevant. I mean, just like with the death of Yondu and the death of Groot, you know, like, yeah, it's part of his MO and it, and it makes things meaningful. So, um, I can't recommend it enough. I thought it was a five sombrero for sure. And I don't give five sombreros to things very often, but it's a, it's a, you know, something you should definitely watch with your teenagers and above, not for the little ones, but man, it's, it's great. They did a beautiful job with the effects. They did a beautiful job with, you know, directing and, and the pacing of it. And I just, uh, I love the, the Christmas aspect of it, you know, the, the Christmas twist to it. I thought it was really, really good. So definitely recommend, <clears throat> recommend it. And, uh, with that, my dear listeners, I, I will leave you with that. Thank you once again for, you know, being willing to come uh, every week and, and listen and to uh, recommend and to, you know, follow along. I, I appreciate you guys. I love you guys. I can't wait to come with my top 10 list. It'll be in a couple of weeks as we march towards, you know, Christmas time. Uh, in the meantime, I hope that uh, all of you stay safe out there. And, uh, you know, if any of you are, are dealing with any kind of head cold or sickness or anything that that passes quickly and that you get back to feeling a hundred percent. So with that, um, I will leave you guys. I uh, love you guys. Uh, take your vitamins, drink your water, eat your vegetables, and I will talk to you next week. Bye.